0: Connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Head over to Colossians chapter one. We're kicking off a brand new series today. It's going to take us through uh, five weeks. So we're going to spend five weeks in the book of Colossians. I think uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this as we dive into this. We're going to do more of an expository teaching. What that means is we're just going to work our way through the, the book of Colossians. Uh, as, uh, like I said, um, we have spent, um, I don't know, several different series working through different books of the Bible, and this one I'm really, really excited about. So I want to challenge you with something. Uh, I want you to commit yourself right now for the next five weeks to just read through the book of Colossians every week, during the week. It's only four chapters. It doesn't take very long. Yeah, so you don't, I don't think it's even a stretch for you. For many of you, you could do it, probably do it multiple times. But here's what I, I promise you, is you're going to get so much out of this book. It might even turn out to be one of your favorite books in all of the Bible. And so I hope that you'll take that challenge and just read through it every week. Like I said, four chapters, not a big deal. And uh, so please take the challenge and start reading through it. And then when you come in here on Sunday mornings, not only are you familiar with what we're teaching, but you're also, you know, adding to it. You're you're hearing what we're talking about. Maybe you'll be like, hey, I, I got that too. Like I was really excited because I put that together as well. So anyway, let's jump in with both feet starting right now for the next five weeks into Colossians. Today we're going to cover the first 14 verses. So that's all we're covering today because I think this sets the tone for the entire book. He really gets to the gist of what this is all about. It's about the gospel. It's about uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at this. Uh, Are you there? Did I give you enough time? Good. Okay, this is a letter that's written, and uh, it's not written like any of the letters that you and I write today, like emails or anything, but usually these letters that we read about in Scripture, they tell us who they're from and who they're to, and of course uh, this, this follows that same suit, so it starts off by telling us who the letter is from. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of, of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So right off the bat, first verse, we already know who's writing. This letter. It's the Apostle Paul and Timothy. You remember Timothy from last week? If you were here for Mother's Day, we were talking about this young man that was raised by his grandmother and his mother, and he had this amazing faith, and he's with Paul, and they're writing this. Uh, Paul's writing this not only on his behalf, but also on the behalf of Timothy as well. Uh, Just as a side note to give you some background too, this is written about 60 AD, so about 60 years Uh, You know, later in the church history, if you know your history, your church history, they're scattered, they're going all over the place, uh, they're being persecuted. And Paul actually is part of that because he has been arrested, he's placed in a prison in Rome, and he's actually writing this from his prison cell. So he's a part of this whole persecution as well. But he's writing this to, well, verse 2 tells us exactly who he's writing it to. Uh, Verse two says, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. So who's he writing it to? He's writing to the brothers and sisters in Colossae. It's, it's interesting to me, too, that so often when we read Scripture, sometimes we miss it because we're not sure who it's written to. We're not paying attention to who it's written to. So for this entire five weeks, you know that this letter is being written to brothers and sisters Those who have received Jesus Christ, who are trying to walk this life of following Christ. And and so this is for us. It's for believers everywhere. This is not for non-believers. He's not writing to non-believers. He's writing to the family of God. So just keep that in mind as we walk through this as well. Uh, Where are they at? It says that they're in a town or a city called Colossae. Now, uh, we know where Deer Trail's at, we know where, you know, Aurora, Strasbourg, we know where all those are at, but many times when we read something like this, we don't know where it's at. So I want to show you an ancient map of where Colossi's at. If you took a a modern map and laid it over the top, it would be in the country of Turkey. And what you'll notice is Colossae is on a trade route, but it's not on one of the main ones. So it's not as big, it's not as prevalent as Laodicea or Ephesus or some of the others, but it is an important city. And because it's on a trade route, and that's important to know, they have a lot of different people passing through, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different religions. And so that's some of what's happening in this church, is they're being exposed to a whole bunch of different ideas. And so what that's leading to is some heresy within the church. And this is what Paul is going to start addressing. Let me just give you a a couple of the things that you'll see crop up in this church. First of all, uh, one of the heresies is the fact that they think that you must obtain some type of secret knowledge in order to be saved. Like there's got to be some secret wisdom there. There's got to be a revelation before you can be saved. And Paul is going to eventually tell them, look, it's on Christ and Christ alone. It has nothing to do with what you know. Uh, another heresy is that because of all the people that are passing through there's all these ideas being shared and and they start thinking well that sounds good to me and so I think I'm going to add that to my faith I think I'm going to add that to my religion right and I'm glad that doesn't happen here today But that's what's going on back in the first century here. And what happens is that Paul will eventually get to this, and he'll say, look, it it is Christ and Christ alone. Christ is sufficient. He's all you need. You don't have to add anything to it. And like I said, uh, I'm glad we don't deal with that ourselves, right? Uh, isn't, it, isn't it interesting how something written two thousand years ago applies just as much today? Because I think that's one of the diseases of the American Church today, of us uh, believers in the in the United States, is we hear all these different ideas and we go, "Well, that sounds pretty good," and and so we add all these things to our faith, to our our walk with Christ, and and those things are not scriptural, but we're going to add them because they sound good. Things like, you know, what I know the Bible says that I, I should abstain from sex until I get married, but yet. It's a good idea maybe if I just sleep around. That way I I know when I I finally get married that I'm compatible with that person, right? And and so we've allowed a lot of that stuff to kind of come into the church and we need to be very careful and make sure that we are are coming back to Scripture and that we're following Scripture. Uh, And again, this is why this book is probably gonna become one of your favorites because it's just straightforward and plain. Um, It's this idea that we blend all of these ideas into this Christian faith of ours, or we we attach all these add-ons instead of just understanding that it's about Christ and Christ alone. Sometimes it's not even a blatant lie. It's just a twist of the truth. It's just a twist or it's an add-on, right? It's kind of like the original sin in the garden. If you remember Adam and Eve in the garden and Satan comes to them, uh, Satan didn't really come out with a blatant lie. He was very sneaky about it. Remember what he said? He said, "Um, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Mm, That's not what he said. Surely you won't die, right? It was a twist of the truth. And in Colossi, that's exactly what's happening here. They're being misled by the twisting of truth, and what's happening is that the gospel is being watered down. It's becoming less effective, and this is one of the reasons why I think even 2,000 years later here uh, on the I-70 corridor in Mountain View Fellowship that this is an important book for us to read because we want to make sure that we boil it down to the pure gospel so that we don't. Get watered down. So that we don't become ineffective at reaching our, the, our communities for Christ. Um, I love the fact that Paul calls them faithful brothers and sisters though. Just the fact he does that tells me that this group of people are very passionate about Jesus. Like they, they want to get it right. They're trying to understand the truth and they're trying to live by that. And so he's writing this letter to them. Uh, verse 3 and 4. It says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Did you know that you can pray for other believers? People that um, are sitting right next to you, people within your own church, did you know that you can pray for them? Uh, Did you know that you can give thanks as you pray? Hopefully hopefully you are. As you're praying, you're remembering all the blessings and things that God's done in your life and, and just thanking Him. And, and Pastor Tim in our worship has he's been working hard to teach us that every Sunday when we come in and we enter into worship, that we should come in with thanksgiving. We should come in with thankful hearts. And I want you to know that one of the interesting things about this scripture is that Paul is writing this to a group of people, as we said in Colossi. But if you notice his missionary journeys, he never goes through Colossae, which means he's. This is a church he's not familiar with. He's never visited these people. He doesn't know these people, and yet in this moment, even while he's in prison writing, he says, um, "I've heard of your faith in Christ and of your love for all of God's people." Isn't that incredible? That for this church that Paul didn't even know he's never met them, but yet their love and their faith precedes them? I think that's incredible. Uh, What would that be like for us if if we were able to do that? Like if people knew us by our faith and love. One of the questions I got asked by a mentor pastor many years ago that still haunts me today is he said, you know what, If, if Mountain View Fellowship ceased to exist tomorrow, would anyone care? Would anyone notice? Man, I... I hope so, like that, that really started to work on me, like we, we need to have an impact, like we need, to have an, we need to have an impact in our communities to where if we weren't here, they would miss us, um, their faith and their love preceded them, what would happen if we were known by our faith, what would that look like, especially to an unbelieving lost world? Hopefully they'd say, look, I'm struggling right now, and even though I don't really like Christianity or I don't like religion, those people over there, they seem to understand what's going on. They seem to have a, a confidence and a boldness that I, I don't get. I need to go figure out what's going on over there, right? Uh, what would it be like if we were known by our love? See, I think we would be attractional. I think people would come, flow in through the doors because of our love. Because of the impact that we would have in our communities, and our schools, and our families. Because of the way that we love the world around us. Now, where does that come from? How, how do you get that kind of faith and how, how do you get that kind of love? Do you, do you know where their faith and love stem from? Take a look at verse 5. It says, Which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Their faith and their love came from their confident hope. And we just did a whole series on our living hope. That's exactly what he's talking about here, that they, they, because of this hope, and it says their hope of what God has reserved for them in heaven, a future hope, something that is to come as well. And we'll talk more about that in verse 12. But because of this hope, they have this great faith and this great love that precedes them. Uh, notice the three things that Paul calls out here. He calls out their faith and their love and their hope. This passage, uh, passage, I think, is very reminiscent of what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 13, where he said, there's three things that last forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Notice what he didn't call out. He didn't call out their knowledge, Right? I think some of that has to do with the heresies that were going on, right? You need a, a secret knowledge to be saved. And he's like, no, that's not what it's about. It's your faith in Jesus Christ, your love for the other believers and the world around you. And you do that because you have this hope that, that's founded in Jesus Christ. See, He's telling them, look, it's not, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. That's how you're saved. And I think for many of us, we need to hear this this morning. Because especially... As as American believers, I, I think we are studied in the scriptures. Many times we have it in our head, but we miss God by eighteen inches. Because we don't allow it to affect our hearts. We miss the simple truth of the good news. Paul says, You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. You can tell from this passage that this letter, uh, this letter that he's writing them, that not only did they hear the good news, but they responded to the good news. You know how I know that? Because of verse 6. It says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. I love that. You heard, you responded to it. And it was because of God's wonderful grace. You know, it's God's wonderful grace, that's, that's really the good news. The fact that we have a God that loves us. He gave himself for us. It was through his grace. Now, what is the fruit that's produced? Because he said they're, they're bearing fruit. Did you catch what the fruit was? He, he says it, it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. See, the fruit of the good news is a changed life. It's a a transformed life. It says that when you hear and you understand the good news, that you can't help yourself but to be transformed, to have your life changed. Let me ask you a very personal question. How has the good news, how has the wonderful grace of God, how has the gospel changed your life? Can you answer that? I hope so. Because if you can't answer that question... I would ask to have you really come face to face with God's grace. Have you allowed it to transform your life? Now, if you can answer that question, you can tell me how the gospel has transformed your life. Guess what? That's your testimony. That's your witness. Uh, we have expectations here of every one of us as family members. And one of them is to go out and share your story with the people around you. Co-workers, friends, neighbor, whatever it is. We want you to share your story because that's really how you share the gospel this is who God is this is how he's transformed my life this is where I was at this is what I I used to be like but yet this is what he's done in me and this is the the transformation that he's made in my life and so I want to challenge you if you can answer that question this week here's what I want you to do I want you to share it with somebody maybe share it with your out relationship somebody that doesn't know Christ uh, your one habit, that person that you stop every day at 1 o'clock and you pray for that one person for one minute, uh, I want you to share it with that person this week. Share your testimony, how God has changed you. Now, if you can't answer that question, how has the, the gospel changed your life, then maybe that's what you need to be praying about. God, I, I want to meet with you on a deeper, deeper level. I want you to transform my life and maybe... Ask God to take all that stuff that you know in your head and allow it to move into your heart to affect the way that you live, the way that you love. Um, Now, this church in Colossae, as I told you, Paul never visited. He wasn't there. So how did they learn about the gospel? Because somebody had to tell them, right? You know who shared the good news with the people in Colossae? Take a look at verse 7. It says, You learned about the good news from Epaphras our beloved coworker, He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. I love that opening line, you learned about the good news. Isn't that evangelism? That's really what it is. Like somebody shared the good news with you. You learned about it, but who did it? It was Epaphras. Epaphras shared the good news with them. Um, scholars believe that Epaphras may have been saved while he was in Ephesus, he went to Ephesus and, and maybe it was Paul or maybe it was the, the believers there, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him and he actually took that back to his hometown. He goes back to Colossae and he begins to preach the gospel. He begins to share his testimony with everybody and, and what ends up happening is it transforms a whole community of believers. People start, start to gather together. He ends up being a church, a church that later on Paul would write this letter to. We don't know how God's going to use our testimony. I think this story is so amazing because we see this, this person, Epaphras, who receives Christ, he goes back to his hometown, and he becomes a spiritual father. He begins to share the good news and people are receiving Christ. And, and I know some of you can relate to that because we've been celebrating that through baptisms here over the last several years. Many of you have reached your, your friends, your family, your neighbors for Christ and you've gotten into baptistry and you've baptized them and you've become spiritual parents. Who is your spiritual parent? Who is that person that led you to Christ that, that had such an impact on your life that you had to just acknowledge who Jesus was? They're the ones that led you to Christ. They're the ones that taught you about the good news and then they begin to disciple you. Who was that for you? And are you doing that for somebody else? And I know some of you are because some of you, we've been celebrating, you're not only spiritual parents, but you've become spiritual grandparents lately. Like we've seen some of you reach somebody for Christ and then that person has gone out and reached somebody else for Christ and you've been a part of that. you become spiritual grandparents. I love what it says in verse 8 about Epaphras. It says, He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Now, can we just agree just for a minute that there are some people in our lives that it takes supernatural love to love them? Right on? Yeah? And if you're the person that's going, "Uh, I don't know who you're talking about. Guess what? It's probably you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's just some people that we, we need a supernatural love to love them. And for whatever reason, right? Uh, maybe it's a difficult coworker, Maybe it's a bossy sister or a brother who's addicted. Or maybe it's an irrational supervisor. Or maybe a spouse that does that thing that drives you crazy a thousand times, right? Whatever it is, uh, we need that supernatural love. Uh, where does that come from? How do we love like that? How do we love like Jesus loved? Uh, did you notice it said... Love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you? That type of love only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. I can't do it. We have to lean into love that the Holy Spirit has for us to be able to love those people around us. And I know some of you are struggling right now. You're like, look, you just don't understand my situation. This person is so unlovable, right? There's always a few of you that think that. Can I just show you? It says love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. See, when you receive Christ and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that power, that love is available to you right away. It's not a question of whether you can love them or not. It's a question of whether you're exercising the love that the Holy Spirit has already given you. You can do this. Um, I have a pastor friend this last week who we were talking through some of this, and and he, he made a statement I thought was so profound. He said, you're only as deep as the last person that you've loved. And I thought, man, that's... That's harsh, right? Especially when there's people that we're in the grocery store and we see them and then we kind of like take a different aisle so we don't have to talk to them, right? Um, Oh, man, I really don't. I can't pick that phone up because that's going to be an hour-long conversation, right? You're only as deep as the last person that you loved. Paul goes on to say in verse 9, he says, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you, man, look at this, We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. I've been hanging on to this this phrase for the last couple of months and letting it work on me. I love this phrase, complete knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, Do you know we can pray for that? Paul says that he's praying for that For a church of believers in a town he's never visited and never seen and never met. Do you know you and I can pray for that for each other? Do you want that? Do you want complete knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding? I hope so. I want that. We can pray for that for each other. For our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let let me ask you, will you start? Maybe you didn't know you can do that. Will you start to pray for that? Um, you have a staff that gets together every Monday morning. We have our staff meetings early Monday morning. And we spend time in prayer for all of you. Do you realize that? And we might not list everybody by name. And you know, we go through certain things and certain needs and requests. And, but here's the thing. We pray for this entire church. If you're a part of this body, we pray for you. And maybe we need to start specifically asking for that. That you would have complete knowledge of his will And for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, I I think so many people come into churches today. And they'll say things like, you know what, I'm looking for a church that I want to go deeper. Like, I'm just trying to grow and I just want to go deeper. I want to learn more. I'm looking for a church that does a a certain type of Bible study. I want to learn the the Greek or the Hebrew. in this. I'm just just trying to go deeper. And here's the problem that I see with that. Many times, um, we know a lot of what the Bible says but we're not even living out the stuff that we already understand. It's the difference between deepership and discipleship. Are you just here to get deeper or are you actually trying to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Mark Batterson wrote, uh, he said most of us are educated beyond the level of our obedience. Like We know it, we're just not doing it. See, we don't need to know more, we need to do more. We need to live out the scriptures that we already know. Because as I look around the United States, especially over the last two years, as crazy as things have been, it seems like Christians are always out there in the front. They say, hey, we're all about love. And yet, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, we're pretty quick to hate. We say we're all about peace, but we're the ones out there losing our minds when things don't go our way. We're all about hope. But you look at a bunch of believers and it looks like they're walking around scared to death. We're all about faith. But the things that we said that we put in God's hands, we're taking those matters back into our own hands. We say we're all about grace, but we can't even forgive ourselves. I want to pastor a church where we actually get it. And we live it out. A church that pursues complete knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding with everything that they have. Not just so we can know more, not so we can fill our heads, but so that it can transform our lives and the way that we live our lives and the way we love our communities and our families. Can I just tell you as a pastor, uh, I'm not worried about you knowing what book and chapter and verse something came from. I'm more concerned about, do you know how to apply it to your life and are you living it out? Even if you're brand new to this, and and the little that you know, are you applying it to your life and allowing God to transform you through the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what I want to see. I want us to live in such a way that we reflect what it says in verse 10. It says, then the way you live, and understand it doesn't say by by what you know, right? It just says, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of fruit, all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Some of your translations say, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Or walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I think that's amazing. What a high bar that is. See, that has nothing to do with what you know. It's, it's how you live. It says, your lives will produce every kind of fruit. Well, what what kind of fruit is he talking about? Well, we know early on in in verse 6, it said that some of that fruit was changed lives. It's transformed lives. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to transform your life? There's other fruit too called spiritual fruit. We read about that in Galatians chapter 5 and it's it's things that the Holy Spirit produces within us because we're allowing him to do the work that he wants to do. Things like uh, love and joy and patience and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, let me ask you, are those things even showing up in your life? Can you say that you're producing that kind of fruit, like the Holy Spirit is producing peace in you, love, self control, faithfulness, goodness? How many of those are a part of your life? When God gives you complete knowledge of His will, when He grants you spiritual wisdom and understanding, you don't have a choice. Like your life is going to change and you're gonna start producing spiritual fruit. Paul continues to pray for more things for these believers in Colossae in verse 11. It says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Paul prays that they would be strengthened so that they might have patience and endurance to be filled with joy. Um, Nehemiah actually said, the joy of the Lord is my strength, which kind of sounds odd. And I know there's a group of you that probably get this better than the rest of us. I don't understand you guys, but uh, there's a group of you that love to run. Like You, get, you, you tie your sneakers on, and you get out and you just start running and it seems like the longer you run, the more joy that fills you, like you're just enjoying it. This, this is awesome. And it's that joy that gives you endurance and patience so you can run something like a marathon crazy people my point is this though joy produces within us patience and endurance and the way paul puts it is it produces that for what's to come remember he's talking to a church that's being persecuted Um, let's wrap this up i just want to tie 13 uh, 12 13 and 14 together take a look at this it says always thanking the father He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom. And some of your translations might say authority of darkness. And transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Man, that's the gospel right there, isn't it? It says that he's enabled you to share in the inheritance. Um, Do you know there's a reunion coming someday? Like when we die, that this isn't, it's not about this life, it's about the next. When we die, you're going to go to one of two places. You're going to go to either eternal damnation or eternal heaven with God in his presence. You're either separated from God for all of eternity or you spend eternity with God. And if if you put your faith in him, it says that he's forgiven you of your sins and he's purchased your freedom. That you have this inheritance in heaven that you get to take part in that eternal celebration. You are a part of his family, the family of God that gets to spend eternity together. Uh, One of the things I do with my sons and, and I do with many of you, especially if I know you well, I know where you stand with God, is when we talk on the phone or we're hanging out or whatever and we go to leave... You'll hear me say something like, late, or later, right? Because I don't, I don't usually say goodbye to people that I know. Why? Because of this. Because I know it's never a goodbye, right? Like if I, I could walk out of here and die today, but it's not goodbye because I will see you again someday. That's the great news about it. Now, if I was just talking to you here recently and you're like, wait a minute, he said goodbye to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's that idea that it's never goodbye. It's later. We have this inheritance. And he has enabled us for that inheritance. How did he enable us? Now, if you've been sleeping on me the whole time, I want you to wake up just for a second. Okay, get this. If you missed everything else, get this. Because this is for every one of us. This is the gospel. This is the good news. What this passage just said is that he has enabled us for an inheritance. How? Because he rescued us from darkness, from the kingdom of dark, He rescued us. And it says that he's transferred us from that darkness into his kingdom or his kingdom of light. He did it. Not you, not me, not because we're awesome or great or worthy, because we're none of that. But he did it because he first loved us. It was because of God's love that he rescued us and transferred us. How did he do it, though? I love this little phrase that Paul uses here. It says, he did it through his dear son. I love the fact that he added dear in there because it cost him everything. He did it through his son, Jesus who purchased your freedom is what it says. He purchased it. It was a high price but he did it anyway. He purchased your freedom and he forgave your sins. Now you might be thinking how do you accept something like that? How do I make that mine? And maybe you're hearing this for the first time. I want to share with you how you can do that. We're told that if we just place our faith in him if we believe that he is who he says he is we confess our sins we we turn our lives over to Him; that we're saved. And so, I want us all to close our eyes and just bow our heads for a minute. I'm just going to ask you to do this. If you've never received Christ, uh, I pray today's the day that you do it. And the way that you do that is just there's no special words, but I just want to lead you in a prayer. You don't have to say it out loud; it's between you and God. But if you if you would just say a prayer like this, God, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I couldn't save myself. And God, I recognize that you sent your dear son, Jesus, to purchase my freedom on the cross and to forgive me of my sins, to rescue me from darkness and to transfer me into light. God, thank you. And I accept that gift. And I commit my life to you. Amen. You pr- prayed a prayer like that, and again, there's no particular words. It's the idea that you have a conversation with God and you receive that gift. You commit yourself to Him. Then guess what? You become part of the family. You are now part of this family. You have brothers and sisters that you will spend eternity with. And uh, we know that's true because Romans chapter 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says for, it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That's what you just did. That's how awesome our God is. A God who loves us, who can rescue us, who can transform us, who purchased us and paid for our sins. And so if you did that for the first time this morning, you get to take communion with us as a brother and sister in Christ. We're gonna move into a time of worship and communion and prayer. And so I'm just gonna invite you in this time to just lean in. Lean into what God is teaching you this morning. Allow God to rescue you, to transfer you. Allow God to take the knowledge that's in your head and maybe move it to your heart today so you might live this out. So we want to enter into this time together.